Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. You heard that you awesome doing? music. I'm good. By the absurdist. If you heard that awesome music by the absurdist, and you heard my guest today, his name is David. Um, you know you're listening to uh, EVPs on Rampant with D. Uh, this is episode number can't count anymore. I think it's somewhere between ten and fifteen, somewhere in there. You'll know. Uh, <laughs> and today. Uh, I have a friend of a friend joining the show. Um, he's curious about Bitcoin. He hit me up on Facebook. And uh, I'm going to let him introduce himself right now. All right. My name is David Perez. Um, very interested in cryptocurrency. And I don't know much except from the little that I have time to Google on. Um, I've seen the... I've seen the growth since um, the beginning, and I'm um, wondering if it's on track to keep progressing up, and if if I can invest and make some money. Ah, so when you say growth, you're specifically talking about from an investment standpoint. Yes, correct. Okay. So, um, yeah, there's a there's a high gain potential. When it comes to Bitcoin and crypto and what's still left on the table of all the world's wealth and how much crypto could gobble of it. Um, there's It's a really asymmetrical um, opportunity when it comes to appreciation. Um, let's see, you know, Bitcoin's total worth is like 41 billion. That's like half of what Bill Gates is worth. You know, there's a lot of companies that are more valuable than that. And the the reason why Bitcoin has so much value is because it's scarce and there's only going to be so many. So that's kind of what's driving this price. Just pure supply and demand. Okay. So I, I could absolve myself on this show and say I don't give investing advice, but I personally 
think there's a high potential of appreciation. And I would say don't risk any more than you're willing to lose. So Absolutely. Um so what do you actually know about it outside of, you know, I'm pretty sure you're you're seeing headlines like every other day, Bitcoin is up a bajillion percent. Bitcoin just right. dropped through the basement. Everybody is dying. Like you're seeing these you know, hyperbole head- headlines coming out. Right. Okay. Um so I I re- I really don't know much about it. Okay. I just know that it it is a, you know, a digital currency that um should hold more value than the paper money that we currently use today. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it should be safer to use. Um, I do know this. It's gonna. It, it will cost merchants less to use. As far as fees are concerned, with uh, credit cards and such. Mm-hmm. And that's basically all I know. Okay, so I can touch on that last bit, the fees, right? So the reason why it's theoretically cheaper, right? All the things that that we do at the Bitcoin podcast, they're all kind of like centered around the idea of mass adoption. Because really, Bitcoin's value proposition only really works if it's massively adopted. It's a a network. And, And so when they say fees and why they're lower, what they mean is that if I were to send a Bitcoin transaction to you, David, it would have a network fee associated with it. And this fee is paid to individuals called miners. And the miners accept that fee in exchange of taking your transaction and putting it on the Bitcoin blockchain. Okay. But when you take my fee and you divide it amongst thousands of miners, then that becomes virtually free, right? So if the fee is like a penny, if it costs one penny for the network fee, which is actually pretty high for Bitcoin, then if that one penny gets divvied out amongst all the miners, then, you know, really kind of virtually free. Okay. And when I say divvied, I mean that one fee gets paid to the miner that finds that block. The next fee goes to the next miner that finds a different block. The distribution makes it virtually free. And so, yeah, is very low fees for merchants given there is massive adoption. So, merchants also would like Bitcoin because it's irreversible. So a lot of the problems that merchants run into online especially is that like if I'm a merchant and I sell my product to Amazon or eBay, then somebody could turn around and say, hey, I didn't buy that thing. Uh-oh. Got some noise. Oh, sorry. Just walking around my house. <laughs> it's all good. They could turn around and say, I didn't buy that thing. That's not mine. And then all of a sudden, I'm the merchant, and I'm getting a chargeback. So the $150 that I thought I had in my bank account, I don't anymore because there was fraud. And so that's another reason why people like Bitcoin is well, why Bitcoin has a lot of potential is because it, 
you know, presents that use case of a irreversible transaction. And as things get, as e-commerce grows more and more and more, you know, merchants probably would like the idea of irreversible transactions. So um, that's another thing. Um, let's see, what are the other value propositions of Bitcoin? So obviously it's a D, not obviously, it's a, it's a deflationary currency. So I don't know if you know the difference between inflation, deflation. Um, minimal. Minimal, right? Uh, it's so inflation is something we all know and hear. Like since we're kids, probably like everything is because of inflation and uh, you know, different industries get standard inflation raises. I know the military usually gets inflation. They get a raise to combat inflation. You know, we live in an economy where they try to uh, they try to spur spending because if you spur spending, then that means you can generate wealth faster. That's the theory. Um, so as time goes on, prices go up. So the money that you hold in your hands and in your accounts, and it just loses value. Bitcoin is the opposite of that. It's deflationary. And it's deflationary. Well, technically, right now, it's inflationary. But that's only because new Bitcoin is entering the system. So at a certain point in time, the amount of Bitcoin that enters the system is going to be so small that it's going to become a deflationary currency, where it's actually poised to gain value over time. So it all depends on your economic interests and if you think that's a good plan or not. I, for one, like the idea of my value maintaining itself or growing, given more people use it. That's really the only determining factor right there. Right. And so the reason why Bitcoin has been growing and growing and growing, just slowly but surely, I believe, this is just something I believe, that the public all across the globe is starting to understand like, hey, this is there's only going to be so much of this stuff. And I got to get it while I can. <laughs> or I'm not going to get any. So when you have a supply that's fixed and a supply that's predictable, but a demand that keeps growing, well, we all took economics in high school. All right. We know what that means to price. So. No, I mean one thing. Yep. And that's what's been proven correct for the past nine years. Bitcoin's gone from fractions of a penny to where one whole Bitcoin is worth $2,500 right now. So. You know, there's room for growth. And there's still plenty of more room for growth. So, let's see. What was another thing you mentioned? So, you mentioned that merchants would love it. You also mentioned... Go ahead. Um, I lost my train of thought there. All good. So... Um. I mean, the, I guess uh, just looking at the uh, the potential of growth and how the other uh, digital currencies out there uh, will and can they affect um, each other? Oh, well, I would say yes and no. I would say at one point, strictly yes. At one point, this was about, and I say it like it's so long ago, like last year, Bitcoin acted as kind of like a reserve currency for all those other digital currencies. 
Um, you know, it, it every single digital currency value was dependent upon the value of Bitcoin. Um, that's changed a little bit. Now you got a little bit more, more players in the game. Ethereum, Ether is a cryptocurrency that now it's acting as somewhat of a loose reserve currency for these things called ICOs, uh, initial coin offerings, initial token offerings. Um, you have Litecoin now, which is a bona fide market. Um, and as a whole, I like to look at it as just the cryptocurrency market is all of them kind of grouped together. And they're starting to become really exclusive from, you know, our money, our system. It's almost like a totally different economy that's running parallel right now to ours. So, uh, the answer to your question, though, is do they act? Do they affect each other? I would say yes, but I would say yes, not from like a numerical or like, you know, monetary standpoint. I would say just like from a network effect standpoint, because if people start to lose confidence in Bitcoin, then they're going to start to lose confidence in Ethereum. Right. You know, and if they start to lose confidence in uh, if or if Bitcoin for some reason has a tragic flaw, then Ether and Litecoin are automatically going to be looked at and tested the same way. So it's it's I'd say yes from a network effect standpoint. So so long as that network effect is robust, then I think what do they say a rising tide lifts all ships or something like that? Never I've never heard that expression. Oh, I sound I sound wise now. Thank you. Good Saturday. <laughs> I think I'll have some wine later. No. <laughs> a rising tide lifts all ships is what they say, and that's tend that's been the the case in the recent last couple of years is that when Bitcoin goes on these, you know, these upticks for months where it's just having several great months in a row, all the other coins do well too. All of them do. When Bitcoin has a bad month, all the other coins do bad too. Right. So I'd say that that network effect is very powerful. And yes, Bitcoin does affect the other cryptocurrencies. Okay. So, is there sort of like a uh, digital currency, like 101, if you will? Oh, there's a lot. So you can find a lot of helpful information in our Slack if you ask the right questions. Uh, we tend to get off topic. We'll either be extremely on topic talking about something like advanced bitcoin protocol or we're talking about like ninja turtles or something random it's really random in there. but if you want right. focused bitcoin tutorials and education there's just a litany of tools there's there's a bitcoin wiki there's if you go to a website called coindesk.com they actually have very good like really detailed and descriptive um all kinds of aspects of Bitcoin, like how do you buy it, how do you earn it, what is a transaction, you know, essentially it's just an input and an output that goes on a ledger, and that's right. it. And when you think of it, like, the blockchain isn't necessarily Bitcoin moving so much as seeing 
who owns the keys to the Bitcoin now. So it's more like that's that's the cool thing about Bitcoin is that even if somebody did hack a transaction to it, all they get to see is that money moved. They don't get to see it went from who to who. They just get to see that an input went to an output. You know, and that's another perk of it is that when you use Bitcoin on the Internet, you don't have to put your financial identity out there. It's pseudonymous. Okay. So that's why when I spend money on the Internet, I try as hard as I can to always use Bitcoin because I don't have to worry about somebody stealing my identity. It's just all I get to see is a random string of alphanumeric characters. So what are they going to do with that? I mean, nothing. <laughs> so I, I that's one of the things that I really like. Um, okay. Now, how how much how many uh, sites or or um, merchants are taking Bitcoin as currency? Oof, that's a tough question. I think the last article I read said something about thousands, but that was just like Coinbase's blog saying that's how many merchants they'd signed up. Um, I'm pretty sure it's thousands. Now, big merchants in the U.S., um, let's see, Dell, Overstock, um, Dell, Overstock, Dish Network, um, 1-800-Flowers, really random. Um, but there's all sorts of avenues to spend it. I think through Coinbase, they have a shift card, which has Visa on it. So you can spend anywhere Visa spent. Um, lots of overseas merchants. Let's, I just read an article last week about, uh, like one of the largest Japanese retailers is now expect, ex- accepting Bitcoin. Um, I think what you're asking is if the more merchants that start taking it as money, the more the world is going to start seeing it as money. Right. And not just sort of, investments. Yeah, exactly. Right. And not just investments. So the, that number of merchants that accept Bitcoin has also grown astronomically in the last nine years. I uh, wish I had the actual number, but <laughs> I could maybe I could see if I could Google something. I could find anything, but. I don't, well, I don't need an exact number. That's all right. Okay. Well, yes, the number of merchants accepting Bitcoin is growing. Um, now, that's that's for people that choose to use Bitcoin as, as cash. It's You can do that. That's a very obvious use case for Bitcoin. Some people use it as an investment. Some use that as cash. A lot of people actually use building services and building programs with it. Um Smart money, programmable money. So, now, do you talk about the possible growth of Bitcoin? You know, I do know that you know there will only be a certain amount of coins, and that has not been reached yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, go ahead. So will that, are the expected um, projections about Bitcoin um, reasonable or likely? 
Um, let's say, let's just do some napkin math. Let's try this. So right now there's 16 to 16 to 18 million Bitcoin in circulation. Um, somewhere in there. I don't know off the top of my head, but there's only ever going to be 21 million. So let's take the extreme case and let's say of the quadrillions of dollars that move on a daily basis, Bitcoin only only has one trillion of that. So if we take one trillion divided by one billion, there's one trillion and let's divide it by 21 million. This is, this is best case scenarios. Let's talk. This is acts, absolute capacity, you could call it. Right. Then one Bitcoin would have to be worth 47 grand. And that's just to move one trillion in a worth of value in a world where there's currently quadrillions of value moved in a day. So one Bitcoin would essentially have to be worth 47,000? Yeah, and that's just. Just to have enough, you know, economic clout to move that much money around the globe, it would have to, right? Because you yeah. got to imagine, right? Say Bitcoin is a really closed network. It's like me and you and four other people. And a new person sees value in our network. So now there's going to be seven. But this new person's like, well, hey, I want to send money to this other person. So now there's going to be eight. So basically, those two people have to look at us six people and say, hey, can we get in on that just so we can use it to send value to each other? Well, if we already own a lot of that network, we're going to say, um, yeah, I guess we'll let you use some of this network, but it's not like it's going to be free. We're just not going to let you come onto the network and use it for free. So if you're going to come onto the network and use the network and we get less currency that we can send around, we're just going to have to increase the value so that we don't lose value, but you can still join the network. Kind of like a game theory. There's okay. some economics involved there. And so just to have the ability to move around that much value, it demands that Bitcoin has to have a high value. And right now it's only at forty one billion. Gotcha. So you start to think like, okay, what if this market cap gets into the hundreds of billions? What if this market cap gets into the tens of trillions? Like even if Bitcoin were to get to the hundred if Bitcoin had a hundred billion dollar valuation at a market cap right now, then that would put one Bitcoin at about I don't know, a little over five thousand dollars. In the grand so if, scheme of markets, $100 billion is very small. Right. So with that being said, as far as investing is concerned, there is still time to get in and potentially make some money. Um, I'm going to give a soft yes, just because I don't want to put myself out there. As this is a get rich quick scheme or a get rich oh, no. thing at all. But from an economic standpoint, yes, Bitcoin still has a very, very asymmetrically high, like, yes, you're, you're pre, the 
amount it could appreciate could be very, very high <laughs> still. So that was all napkin math. I know there's a lot of people in the community that heard all that and they're like, what are you doing, D? Why are you taking him down that rabbit hole? Because there's a lot of factors that are involved there, but if you just went straight capacity, if it was a trillion dollar market and there were 21 million Bitcoins, then boom. But there's a lot of things we didn't talk about. Like sometimes people lose their Bitcoin. We're talking about cash, right? So that takes that right. 21 million down. Sometimes people forget their password. That takes more of that down. Sometimes people don't pass on their credentials and they'll pass away. And nobody can move that Bitcoin anymore. So that takes that 21 million down as well. The beauty of it is that by being divisible to the 100 millionth decimal point there, you've got a lot of room for commerce. So if people are losing their Bitcoin, but the world is still deciding that it wants to use Bitcoin, it still has to have a high value to work. So those are all options with digital currency. Those yeah. are all factors. Okay. Those are all factors. Those are all things that could play and that come into play. Um, it's a very new market. It's a very new industry. It's a very new technology. Um, but as it's being defined in every year that it's around, more and more people are gaining confidence in it. I'll put it to you like this. You, we were talking shortly before the show. You told me you have a two-month-old. Your two-month-old was born into a world where Bitcoin existed. Right. If you're around the age that I am, we weren't born into a world where the internet existed. We kind of right. learned about it when we were younger. But all these kids, like the younger, younger kids, like the Zuckerbergs and these kids, they're born into a world where the internet existed. So they use it in ways we can't imagine. Well, Bitcoin is programmable money. So there's going to be some young people that come through that are really passionate about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and all that it can do. And they're going to play around with it. And they're going to build some fantastic stuff. Like we're just getting started with this technology. So I don't know. I'll go down that exciting rabbit hole like a fanboy, but we don't have time. Nobody has that much time. <laughs> It's all very interesting. Um, yeah, there's a lot more that I couldn't possibly tell you in a 20-minute, 30-minute show. Um, what I will say that something maybe you can chew on and, and it sparks you to do some research on your own is that before Bitcoin, you couldn't really have digital uniqueness on a global scale. Like, And what I mean by that is if I send you an email of a Word document, I still have that document. Right. It's just a copy. With Bitcoin, it allows for digital uniqueness. So I can build up a document, sign it with a very specific signature or put a specific phrase there, and then I could send it to you, and I no longer have that thing. You have it. So it allows for digital uniqueness. It's not a copy. It's the actual real document, the real thing. Okay, And so, uh, to me, that's the mind-blowing thing about it. 
to me, that's like, oh, there's lots of possibility there. We can have digitally unique things. So this is these are the ones and zeros on this planet that are the only ones and zeros like it. There aren't any more ones and zeros like this. That to me is, and I'm talking about like programming that kind of, what is it, binary? Binary. binary. Yeah. That's it. Like that's that to me is important, especially given the way things are going. So, very interesting stuff. Definitely, definitely. Any more questions? Anything before I let you enjoy the rest of your weekend with your family? Um, just uh, just looking to do more research. I, I know that. Uh, okay. On my end, so I know what I'm getting into. There's all kinds. Into. So you can go to our website, Bitcoin Podcast, BitcoinPodcast.com, BlockChannel.com, uh, CoinDesk.com, CoinTelegraph.com. I mean, you're pretty much one Google search away from a rabbit hole that you might not be able to get out of. So I'd say, like, be careful. But <laughs> all right. There's a lot of information. Learn me a Bitcoin is my favorite one. Um, oof, so many. So I'll send you a link right now to some great literature. And there's like 30 tabs on the left. If you go through each one of those 30 tabs, you'll know all there is to know. There's a tab at the top that says Blockchain 101. And that should help you tremendously with this stuff. I think it's always wise if you're going to invest in something to know what you've invested in. Right. It sounds like you're pretty headstrong on, yes, I want to invest in this. I wanted to make it long term. So there's there's just a touch point on some literature for you. Okay. Sounds good. Well, thank you, David. Um, thank, thank you for stopping by the show. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. See you. Thank you.